0: We are back, my little darklings. You've unlocked a special chamber beneath the Paranormal 60 vaults. An extra episode this week. Last night we spoke of the Killer King, Tut's Revenge. Tonight, Mark Anthony is back as we examine screaming mummies and other mysteries right here on the best in paranormal podcasting. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is the Paranormal 60. Stand here and listen to this, baloney He won't know, he doesn't stand for baloney Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me Supernatural, perhaps
1: Baloney perhaps not
0: hello my little darklings look we're now available on pocket casts so you can tune in to us wherever you are however you access your podcasts you can find us now at pocket casts so make sure that you check that out or listen to us on any of the myriad of audible podcast apps that are out there you'll find us because we are the best in paranormal podcasting. I am your host, Dave Schrader. This, this is my empire. This is the Paranormal 60. And tonight, we've got a great show lined up for you. But I have to mention, following on the footsteps of our talk last night with Killer King, Tut's Revenge, you could join me this February 12th through the 23rd for 12 days and 11 eerie nights as we traverse Egypt from Cairo to Giza. We will have an amazing time. We'll get to see the great pyramids. We'll get a chance to visit Howard Carter's home right in time for the 100th anniversary of the curse of King Tut, the opening of Tut's tomb, which took place in February of 20 or not twenty, twenty-three, but 1933. And, uh, this is going to be exciting or 1923. I'm eventually going to get the dates right folks. It's if it's not written on a card in front of my face, it's really hard for this old man to remember things. But if you'd like to join me, You can go to darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com. Tracy Ash is my co-host. She is an Egyptologist. She is a metaphysician, um, an Ascension timeline metaphysician, a medium. It is going to be an amazing time. This will be guaranteed the adventure of a lifetime. We have, I think it's four to six spots that remain. That is it. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Get in on it right now and join us. For those of you that are not quite that adventurous, but living in and around the Minnesota Twin Cities area, you can join me this weekend at Twin Cities Con. We're going to have some nerd fun there, comic books, wrestling, actors, actresses. It's going to be an amazing time, and I'll be there. I'll be talking paranormal on both Friday and Saturday this week. I'd love for you to come on out and spend a little time with us, so make sure that you check it out. TwinCitiesCon.com. All right, joining us tonight, you are in for a treat. If you were here last night, you'll remember our guest, Mark Anthony. He is a psychic explorer. He's a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's an Oxford-educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Mark travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena. Sounds like our kind of guy, and he is. His new book, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact and How That Awareness Will Change Your Life. That book is available. We've got a link for it on tonight's uh, webisodes. So you can find all the information on there. And do me a favor, go like this episode right now If you're watching it live on YouTube, just make sure to mash that like button and make sure that you rate and review all of our episodes. You could do that however you listen. Go in and rate and review on iTunes, Apple, Google Podcasts, whatever you might be listening to that has a rate and review. That really does help out the show and I'd appreciate it. Our guest, Mark Anthony, is also the co-host of The Psychic and The Doc. And again, we have a link up for that on tonight's program guide. So ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome back to the Paranormal 60, Mark Anthony. Hey, Mark, good to have you back again. Thanks for doing this two nights in a row.
1: Oh, thanks, Dave. Um, Ancient Mysteries, Paranormal 60. Hey, this is awesome. Thanks That's for having right. me. That's
0: right. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So I, I do want to kind of take things back just a little bit because we can do that here in time and in space. We are the masters of what we control, Mark Anthony. And I'm curious, as we talked yesterday about the findings of the tombs and how many of the tombs throughout Egypt had been ransacked and and you know, the pyramids stolen and the obelisks stolen of their gold uh, layering and, and just so many things kind of disassembled throughout history, how is it, in your opinion, that what turned out to be one of the biggest treasure troves ever, was left undisturbed with King Tut's tomb. As we kind of revisit the curse of King Tut, how did that escape finding and looting?
1: Yeah, that's one of the great mysteries in and of itself. What people need to realize is the Tomb of Tutankhamun, over 5,500 objects were removed from the tomb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're familiar with all the the solid gold coffin, the gold death mask, the beautiful statues. Mm -hmm. Common's tomb, Dave, was also the smallest royal tomb in the Valley of the Kings. And if they had found intact a a tomb of a pharaoh like Ramses the Great, Ramses the Second, or Seti the First, or to Common's uh, grandfather, Amenhotep III, they had these uh, 10,000 square foot underground tombs, even larger. In fact, Ramses the Great had over 100 sons, and a few years ago, it, the tombs, uh, the, it's an enormous subterranean complex of tombs of all of his sons was found. Uh, there would have been more treasure in one hallway of these great pharaohs than in the entire tomb of Tutankhamun. Hmm. It's interesting too, I'm hearing that when Howard Carter found
0: this, he did believe that that tomb also held a connection to Nefertiti, who he believed was yes. King Tut's mother. And he was poo-pooed, people mocked him, made fun of him, and now in 2022, they think he may be right, that just beyond his tomb lies tomb of nefertiti so it'll be interesting to see how history unfolds and what other stories and and mysteries king tut's tomb still has to reveal for us but i think it's fascinating right that you've got this tomb you've got all of these artifacts that were found there this curse this famous curse that is recognized worldwide surrounding it and certainly we talked about the strange stories if you missed it yesterday, thank God we've still got it available. You can check it out here on the YouTube channel, or if you are subscribing, whatever way that you listen, make sure to go back and check out yesterday's show, but you don't have to have listened to yesterday's show to enjoy today's show tonight. We're going to be talking about a, a myriad of different things, but you talked about the fact that his crypt was a little smaller. His was yeah. designed differently. Is that because now I've, I've come to understand that he died relatively quickly. He, he, it was almost like they were unprepared. Yes. Which does lead you to believe that maybe, maybe something nefarious did happen to the boy King. What's your That's, take on that?
1: That, that certainly is one of the theories that Tutankhamun could have been murdered. Mm. Now we know that he was very sickly based on what we talked about last night, uh, examination of his mummy he had Kohler's disease, which is a bone disease that affects children. Uh, he had a club foot. He suffered from malaria and from sickle cell anemia. Those are just some of the things that they found uh, that, that had afflicted this young young man, this boy, and this young man during his life. But And I'm glad that you brought up Nefertiti. Let's go back to first let's start with Tutankhamun's grandfather, Amenhotep III. This was, he was kind of like the Ronald Reagan of ancient Egypt, right? The, the Egyptian empire was at its greatest extent. I mean, it was basically the whole southeastern corner of the Mediterranean stretching all the way down into modern day Sudan. And Egypt's power was unquestionable. And then Amenhotep, when he died, he was, um, he was laid to rest in an elaborate tomb. In the Valley of the Kings. And see, that's what's so strange about Tutankhamun. It looks like the tomb was a rush job. The paintings in it aren't of the quality of the other tombs in the area. Um, it looks like the coffin, the solid gold coffin that they put him in, wasn't even made for him. The death mask that on him doesn't possibly even resemble what he may have really looked like. So Amenhotep was the pharaoh's pharaoh. But then his son, Amenhotep IV, we know better as Akhenaten. And, and something real strange happened here. For thousands of years, the Egyptians had a polytheistic religion. In other words, they believed in many, many different gods. The chief god was Amun, and then there was Isis and Osiris. You know, they were like you know, the, the biggies in their pantheon. And uh, the god was Ra, the the, the sun god. But then Akhenaten becomes pharaoh, and he eradicates, or rather, he suppresses belief in multiple gods. And the belief is now narrowed down to one god, the Atan, A-T-E-N in English. Which was an aspect of the sun. It wasn't even really Ra, the previous uh, god of the sun. It was a specific aspect of the sun. And he's considered to be the world's first monotheist, a person who believed in one God. And then he cut the funding to all the priests and temples in Egypt, hmm. not making him very popular. The priests were the scribes, the bureaucrats. They ran the Egyptian empire, and all of a sudden, now they're out of cash. In fact, Ignaten didn't want his capital to be Memphis or Thebes along the Nile. He moved it to a new location, Amarna, and it was to be the center of his new cult of the sun. And like most pharaohs, Akhenaten had multiple wives, but his most famous wife, his, his chief wife, was Nefertiti. And Nefertiti in Egyptian means the beautiful woman that has come from afar. So it is believed that Nefertiti was a foreign princess, but she was known for her elegance, her beauty. In fact, um, there was uh, or there is in the Berlin Museum a bust of Nefertiti, which was discovered And it's so beautiful that the American Cosmology or, excuse me, um, Cosmetic Surgery uh, Association uses Nefertiti as their logo because she is the standard of feminine beauty.
0: Wow. It's crazy how something from so far back in time could even play now. Yeah,
1: 3,300 years. But
0: now I've seen paintings right? I've seen cave paintings. I've seen drawings. They're not always spot on with the way they represent (laughs) leaders, right? I mean, there were leaders that uh, Alexander the Great chose Hercules to represent him on coinage and and in images, many of these things. And if you're, you're, you know, you're this great beauty, could it have been maybe, I don't know, pumped up a little bit because she was Queen Nefertiti, so you don't want to yeah. piss off the queen by creating something that looked more like her? Or or is there
1: documentation
0: of just how radiant and gorgeous this, re- this woman really was? Yeah,
1: I, I'm kind of leaning more in your direction, Dave. It's like she was Pharaoh's wife, and so, oh, she was the most beautiful woman. And Maybe she was. Maybe she was So Basically,
0: this mask we're seeing of Nefertiti is really the original filter. Could right? be.
1: The social media filter. Could be. Well... Between Akhenaten Ak- ruled roughly 19 years. So then he dies, and then it's believed there's a shadowy figure, Smenkari, that appears to have been Pharaoh for a very brief time, and then the throne goes to Tutankhamun. There's speculation, maybe Smenkari could it have been Tutankhamun's older brother, or could it have been Nefertiti? possibly acting as pharaoh maybe as regent or trying to seize power outright in favor of the 9-year-old Tutankhamun but Smenkare is 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 just sort of a a heartbeat in in the bigger picture of what happened here now i want to back up just a bit dave and uh, there are theories about why did Akhenaten Changed his name from Amenhotep IV to Akhenaten, which means the joy of the sun. And, and Tutankhamun's original name was Aten, which also fit in with the sun. So he was trying to create this whole new cult, and at the same time impoverishing after the military, the most powerful force in Egypt, which was was their religion, their their you know their entire temple complex. This has been hotly debated among Egyptologists. Even Carl Sagan weighed in on this one. There are some biblical scholars who believe that Akhenaten may very well have been the good Pharaoh of the Bible. You know how we have the, the evil Pharaoh? And, and you know, we've all seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. And I, I love that movie because I, I think Yul Brenner was like born to play Ramses the Great. Moses and the Israelites must not leave Egypt. Well, and, and scripture is very clear about the, the wicked pharaoh, and they even name him as Ramses. So if you accept that as an account of what happened, then you must also accept that there was a good pharaoh of Egypt. And we know from scripture that the pharaoh of Egypt was having a nightmare, a reoccurring nightmare, that seven hefty cows emerged from the Nile River only to be dis, uh, devoured by seven scrawny cows, seven plump ears of corn in turn being devoured by seven skinny ears. And th- this dream was driving pharaoh to distraction, and his court couldn't interpret it, his magicians couldn't interpret it, his astrologers. But in pharaoh's prison, there was a Hebrew. Joseph, who'd been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery in Egypt, the Hebrew Joseph was brought before Pharaoh and he interpreted the dream to mean that there will be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh, in turn, rises Joseph to the rank of Grand Vizier, second in influence only to Pharaoh himself within Egypt. So would it be completely a leap if this, this Hebrew who believed in one God, a God of light, could possibly have affected the Pharaoh who may have put his spin on belief in one God. Now, I'm not saying that this is what happened, but there are biblical scholars who question well, who would the who's the most likely candidate to be the good pharaoh I think it makes for an uh, interesting uh, paranormal 60 conversation dave I totally agree
0: it's interesting all the right it's so cloak and dagger now you know why people love shows like dynasty and dallas and knots landing and and you know gossip girl and all of these things oh, it's it's all the scandal and all the the shenanigans well, yeah. behind the scenes and you've got these People plotting. You. Everybody wants a piece of the action. Everybody wants to please the lords, right? You and, and the guys. You don't want to be are the viziers. You don't want to be necessarily the right. people that give advice or are the magic or the mouthpiece of the pharaoh. Because if things go bad, you're the scapegoat. You're the one that gets hung with everything.
1: Right? Yes. Exactly. So so then Akhenaten dies, and then Spenkari comes and goes in a flash, and. Nine-year-old Tutankhamun becomes pharaoh. He's married to his half-sister, Anka Sanamun, and then he dies at age 19 under suspicious circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we spoke last night the way um, his mummy uh, didn't have a heart. And all mummies had the heart. The, the Egyptians would specifically mummify the heart and return it to the body because they believed it to be the most important organ in the body. It also looks like there was extensive damage to his leg. I believe it was his left leg. Looked like his leg had been broken at one point. So there's thought that, well, maybe he fell from a chariot because there was depictions of him in the tomb racing chariots, which, you know, the kid would like to do anyway. But could he have been murdered? Now, here's why the speculation that he was murdered has some validity. So here we have a 19-year-old pharaoh he dies. But what did he do during his reign? He restored the ancient religion. Now, do you really think a nine-year-old would know enough about politics and religion to suddenly restore all the priests to their former power, have the capital move back from Amarna back to Memphis and Thebes, because they'd alternate out um, the royal residence, and basically return things to the old ways. A nine year old, this is like the first thing that Tutankhamun did. He may have been a minor Pharaoh, but what he did certainly changed things drastically. But then he's physically disabled, not the manly man that a warrior king needed to be for ancient Egypt. So either he dies in an accident or an accident conveniently happened, or it was outright murder. But for whatever reason, at age 19, Tutankhamen is buried. And like you pointed out, Dave, it looked like the tomb was a rush job, smallest tomb in the Valley of the Kings, lousy paintings, incredibly um, a beautiful gold coffin, but probably not made for him. Things aren't adding up, but there's more evidence why he may have been murdered.
0: All right. Well, don't leave us hanging here, Mark Anthony. I'll tell you when we go to break, and we're not going to break right
1: now. So what else do we know about this? It would lead us to believe it was murder. So his half-sister and widow, Anka Sanaman. Now, the fact that Tutankhamun died didn't make her queen in the sense that it would like a, a European king thousands of years later. She, you know, She was no Elizabeth I. She was Pharaoh's great wife. That would be the title. Well, We know from scripture and from historical evidence of the Hittites. In fact, uh, a couple hundred years later in the story of David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite because he was a great warrior. And David maneuvered Uriah into battle to make sure that he would be killed. So we know that the Hittites existed and Ankasanaman wrote a letter to the king of the Hittites. Now, how do we know this? We know this because um, almost a century ago, the capital city of the Hittites, Hattusis, was discovered in what is now Turkey. And at the time, Turkey, which is up the coast from Egypt, was the center of the all-powerful Hittite empire, and they were great warriors. And their royal archives were uncovered, and there was a letter from a young great wife of Pharaoh, which said, my husband has died, I have no son, and I will not be forced to marry a servant. Send me one of your sons that I may marry him, and he will become king of Egypt. So they found this letter. And the Hittites, being very good record keepers, we have the response. Basically, the king of the Hittites is saying, yeah, well, that's nice, but I don't know if I believe you. But there is a second letter from Ansalaman. And she said, reiterated this, said, I have no son. I basically send me one of your sons that he may become king of Egypt. I will not be forced to marry a servant. Well, on the second go around, the king of the Hittites sends one of his sons, and he never makes it to Egypt. He's murdered along the way. Ooh. What happens next? A 20 year war between the Hittite Empire and the Egyptian Empire breaks out. 20 year war. Now, there's nowhere in the archives that says this prince was ambushed and murdered by Egyptians, but certainly he'd be traveling through territory under Egyptian military occupation. Why would the Egyptian military in cahoots with the priesthood want to get rid of of, um, a a prince of the Hittites that would perpetuate the Tutankhamun's dynasty? And then the Grand Vizier, his name was I in English it's spelled A-Y, marries Ankasanamun, the servant. She was forced to marry the Grand Vizier which is a servant. He was old enough to be her grandfather. And we know this because Ai's tomb was found in the Valley of the Kings, also plundered. And there's a list of his wives on the wall, but no mention whatsoever of Ankhesenamen. Her tomb has never been found. Her mummy has never been found. Tutankhamun's entire family is wiped out. So I marries Ankissanaman, becomes Pharaoh through her, then she disappears without a trace. He rules for a few years. He's an old man. And when he dies, the, the general of the army, Horemhab, becomes Pharaoh. And then after Horemhab's death, then the next dynasty, and we're going to talk about them <laughs> in a bit takes over. And that, of course, leads to Ramses, the great Moses, and the Israelites must not leave Egypt dynasty. So when you start adding up all the pieces here, why would a young widow, a young queen appeal to a foreign king, which is highly unusual to have a foreigner become pharaoh, begging not to be Forced into marriage with a servant, which eventually does happen. And when the prince from the foreign land is on his way, he is conveniently killed on the way. Dave, when you start adding all these pieces together, I'm an attorney, and this is what we call circumstantial evidence. And the circumstantial evidence points to. The Grand Vizier I, who was tied in very heavily with the priesthood and the ancient, the old ways, the old religion, who was tight and made as his successor the head of the army. If this isn't a coup d'etat, I don't know what is. Conspiracy,
0: murder, mysteries, Egypt. You couldn't ask for more. This is an amazing set of stories. And it also sounds, if you're a Disney fan, a lot like the Aladdin show, right? Uh, (laughs) Princess Jasmine was going to have to marry Jafar, and she was trying to find any way out of it and willing to to marry the street rat so that she didn't have to marry the
1: vizier. Crazy stuff. Amazing stories. The Arabian Nights, when you go back to those stories, they were um, written, um, in fact, um, Harun al-Rashid in the 6th, 7th century A.D., is, is believed to have been um, one of the characters in 1001 Arabian Nights. And they were drawing on these stories, which were ancient by their standards. So these are themes and stories. And look, when something this juicy happens, it's not like it just ended there. You know, rumors get out. And a 20-year war between the Hittites and the Egyptians, I mean, that's that's pretty major, all right
0: mysteries abound on tonight's program when we return screaming mummies the lost dark, and more right here on the best in paranormal programming i'm dave schrader and this is the paranormal 60. today's episode is brought to you by better what's the first thing that you'd do if say you had an extra hour in your day would you go for a run maybe take a nap read a book or just show up for a friend there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my Darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is... Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my Darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Hey, it's Chris Jericho here, just reminding you about the four leaf clover. Chris Jericho's rock and wrestling Ranger at Sea, the fourth voyage, leaving February 2nd from Miami to Great Stirrup Key, our very own private island. This is going to be the biggest and best Jericho cruise ever with the biggest lineup. The most fun, I guarantee it. Come join us for the vacation and the party of a lifetime. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Cabins still available. I want to see you there. Welcome back to the show. And how would you like to go back behind bars with Shane Pittman of 28 Days Haunted and the Holzer Files and me, Dave Schrader of the holzer files and ghosts of devil's perch we're returning to old joliet state prison may 5th and 6th that's right it is this clinko de mayo event let's <laughs> see what i did there clinko we're going to be in jail anyway we'd love for you to come out and investigate with us this place lives up to the hype one of the favorite locations i've ever investigated because with our groups, we had strange phenomena every night, and we want you to be a part of it. So join us. You can do that by finding tickets right now at darknessevents.com. That's darknesevents.com. And don't forget this weekend, come visit me at Twin Cities Con. I will be at Twin Cities Con all weekend, and I would love for you to come on out and see my, my programs. I'll be in the program guide. It'll tell you what times and where you can see me. So come on out, stop by, say hi. All right, let's get back to it. We're having a great conversation tonight. Mark Anthony, our guest, there are links on tonight's program guide for Mark Anthony, for his program and uh, for his book and his website, and how you can get readings with Mark Anthony. It's all there. And now you know why I lean on this guy for history and mystery because when I ask him a question, we get answers and we get chock-a-block full of cool information answers. Now let's, uh, we, uh, this next half an hour is going to fly by on us. We have a lot to cover in this. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious how, you know, the rest of these tombs that we talked about that were found, mummies found, we don't hear nearly as much about them as we did about King Tut. Um, right. Was it just kind of second nature, these gra- grave robbings? I remember people used to be able to buy mummies back yeah. in the day, right? You could buy a mummy's hand. You could buy different trinkets from inside the, uh, the, the, the different caves. What can you tell us about that?
1: Grave robbing in Egypt is as old as Egypt itself. And that's why they went, they meaning the ancient Egyptians went from burying their Kings in very conspicuous monuments like pyramids. And I know there's going to be people who say the pyramids weren't tombs, but you know, just for the sake of discussion. And then they went to these elaborate underground chambers in the Valley of the Kings. Well, Grave robbing became a profession in Egypt because by the 1870s, Europeans were hungry. Europeans and wealthy Americans were hungry for Egyptian artifacts. Like you said, you could buy mummies, you could buy all sorts of things. And what happened is the black market in Egypt was suddenly flooded with artifacts and important papyri, you know, several papyrus documents, which were making their way to Europe and they were of exquisite quality and some of them indicated they may have come from royal mummies and the head of the direct um the director of the egyptian antiquity service at the time gaston mespero he was very suspicious about this and he started conducting an investigation now uh, as as a psychic medium and as an attorney Investigation, you know, we like to think uh, investigations are conducted with your rights being read to you and intact. Well, this was Egypt in the 1870s. And at this point in time, um, it was semi autonomous British Egyptian rule. And all of the suspicion started heading in the direction of the Abd el Rasul family. And they were well-known grave robbers, and they also were in cahoots with Mustafa Aga Ayat. And Ayat was a very well-known antiquities dealer, and so um, Gaston Maspero had Ayat arrested. And he said, I have sovereign immunity. Why? Because he acted as a consular agent for Britain, Belgium, and Russia. Well, that may have have stalled things for a bit, but they held him for two months and interrogated him. And upon further investigation, they tortured him. Okay, they tortured this guy, and he he offered up the El Rasul family. And the eldest member of the Rasul family, Muhammad El Rasul, was also arrested and interrogated, <clears throat> tortured. And he gave up the location of one of the most incredible finds in ancient Egyptian history near the, the city of Thebes, close to a temple known as Dair el-Bahrai. And for those of you who are going to be fortunate enough to go with Dave on his trip to Egypt, you will be seeing Dair el-Bahrai. And it's one of the most elegant um, temples uh, uh, in, in Egypt. But in a mountain right near there in a secret tomb, When Gasparo and his archaeologists entered this cave, they couldn't believe their eyes. There were coffins containing 36 royal mummies, kings and queens, some of the most powerful rulers Egypt ever had. Amenhotep III, Thutmose IV, Ramses the Great. What had happened in ancient times, the Valley of the Kings was plundered within uh, um, 200 years. So in the 18th, 19th, and 20th dynasties, the, the tomb complexes of these pharaohs were plundered by grave robbers. In the 21st dynasty, Egypt was on the decline now. Their glory days were past them. They were constantly under attack. And it is believed that the high priests found the the desecrated tombs and the mummies, they rewrapped them, and they hid them in this mountain. Now, there's other people think that the high priest may have been in on the robberies, and they were pilfering some things, but a lot of these mummies still had jewelry and other items intact. Well, when the um, El Rasul family found this, they're the ones that discovered this, they would go in and start picking stuff off the mummies, but they got a little bit too greedy. And then the market to the black market got flooded with pharaonic, meaning um, objects that belong to pharaohs. And that's what led the authorities onto them. But you know what, Dave, it took 300 workers, two days to remove these pharaohs And these queens and and exalted um, Mm. of ancient Egyptian society. And they were placed on uh, ships and sailed up the Nile River to take them to Cairo. And thousands upon thousands of Egyptians lined the banks of the Nile to pay homage to their ancient kings and queens. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Not at all. I mean, that must have been like the lining up of of the
0: uh, Kennedy assassination when he was brought oh. down in in the hearse down the the street to the White House. It had to be something just unbelievable to see and
1: be a part of. It is it, 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 absolutely. I mean, and to think that after all those thousands of years, the people of Egypt still showed respect for these ancient ancient kings and queens. But then, see, this takes us now to another location in Egypt, near the Nile Delta. Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? And I know you've seen it because I've seen Mm, it. Not uh, familiar. (laughs) Well, remember when um, um, Harrison Ford, a.k.a. Indiana Jones, they get to Egypt and they hear the Nazis have found Tannis. Tanis was a city mentioned in in the Old Testament as one of the cities built during the uh, the reign of Ramses. There was Pi Ramses in Tanis. Well, Tanis is a real city, or was a real city, and in 1939 it was excavated by a French archaeologist whose name was Pierre Montet, or Montet. And what's cool about Pierre Montet is that his his he his character was what the uh, George Lucas used to create René Belloc who was Indiana Jones's art <laughs> nemesis in Raiders right. of the Lost Ark. Yeah, they actually based him on on a uh, Pierre Mon- Monte. And what happened Dr.
0: Jones, was, once again I've proven to you that there's nothing you possess that I cannot take away. 100% Dave. Yeah. That. that was
1: good. That was good. <laughs> Belloc. <laughs> He goes, you and I, Dr. Jones, are moving through history. This is history. Yeah. and But here's what, what happened was he found not one but three pharaohs all buried in the same tomb. And get this, Dave, the tomb was completely intact. And, and see, yeah, nobody knows this. Very few people know this. And in the Egyptian Museum, people are, are making a beeline to see all of Tutankhamun's treasures, which you should. And they're walking by three very fascinating sarcophagus. Okay. okay. So there's three pharaohs found in there. Susens the first and Sheshank the second. Let's talk about them for a second. Okay. In... The Old Testament of the the Bible and in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're talking about, well, what happened to the Lost Ark? Now, according to Scripture, um, it was King David's son, Solomon, who built the great temple in Jerusalem. And within the great temple was the Holy of Holies, the most sacred part of the temple. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was to be kept. And we know from Scripture that the Ark, there we go, the Ark of the Covenant was, was a gold box built to specific specifications. Only certain people could touch it, members of the Levi tribe, and they had to wear protective clothing. It is believed that this would generate some type of electromagnetic field. And we saw that in Raiders of the Lost Ark where, uh, you know, Harrison Ford and Sulla, his... his um, his uh, right-hand man in Egypt said that, you know, this is an otherworldly thing. Well, according to scripture, Shishak II invaded Jerusalem and carried off treasures of the temple of the Lord. And in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, they use this to indicate the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken to the city of Tanis. And so now, Pierre Montet finds the mummy of Shishak completely intact. And what's so cool about uh, Shishak, or an Egyptian, Shashank, is coffin was solid silver, and the head of the coffin was a falcon. And they'd never seen anything like this, and the Egyptians valued silver even more than gold because they believed that it contained the light and the energy of the moon. And the reason that it was so valued in ancient Egypt is because silver isn't in Egypt. They had to import it from, from over uh, from other countries. Also within the tomb is the silver coffin of the Pharaoh Susens the first and like Tutankhamun's solid gold coffin. It was an arthropoid. In other words, a coffin depicting a human being of solid silver. Mm. Now, these, this tomb was perfectly intact. There were three pharaohs in there. One of uh, Susen's son was Amenope. Um, He had a less opulent coffin and, um, and death mask. But within all these coffins are incredible gold death masks, just like Tutankhamun. And see, most people think that Tutankhamun was the only tomb ever discovered intact, but it wasn't. There was um, Susen's, uh, Aminope, and Sheshank all buried in the same comp- uh, uh, complex. But why doesn't the world know about this? Right. It happened in 1939, just as World War II was starting. And so here's Pierre Monte, like, could not believe he just scored he hit the egyptological lottery he really i mean he found the entire focus of the world's media was on hitler's invasion of poland and so it never never hit the news it's a minor footnote in in uh in history but in many ways it is as significant as the discovery of Tutankhamun. Now, within the this um, this isn't it interesting, real quickly, yeah. is, to me yeah, yeah. it's it's fascinating
0: that you find these two massive finds. You say the gold represents the power of the sun, right? right. And he is cast in gold, King Tut, King Tutankhamun, right? Right. And then here you've got the silver pharaoh, the knight. These are the two that had the most well preserved. Yeah tomb's night and day it's interesting the yin and yeah, yang
1: it, it, of egyptology it, it is and tutankhamun's tomb was raided back in ancient times they could tell that certain things had been taken and that the seals that were on the doors had been um, uh, repaired but with the tomb thank god, of, god
0: for super glue
1: huh thank god for yeah gorilla <laughs> glue maybe they got a gorilla right. uh, <laughs> yeah. in africa was, you know but but with a uh, susen suenes and Aminope, uh, nobody had ever entered that tomb, but they only found only found like 600 objects, whereas Tutankhamun's tomb, the smallest in the Valley of the Kings, over 5,000 objects. So by the time that Susans and Sheshank were ruling Egypt, Egypt was on the decline. This was about 900 to, to about 700 BC, and even though Sheshank you know, attacked Jerusalem, um, you know the things were on the decline. The Babylonians, and then soon the Persians would be swallowing up uh, the whole region. But but the fact remains they still were pharaohs. They were still treated as god on earth, and they were still buried with this incredibly opulent array of treasures and documentation.
0: All right. Now amongst all of these stories,
1: there remains
0: uh, two very distinct mummies that were located and i want to get into this story we've obviously talked about it i mean it's the it's the name of tonight's episode right as we we started we were talking about screaming mummies and other mysteries where does where does this part of history take us now mark anthony
1: well let's go back to the new kingdom Remember I was talking about Tutankhamun was 18th dynasty. That was a pinnacle of Egyptian power. Well, that transitioned after his probable murder, Horem Ha, but then began the 19th dynasty. And the 19th dynasty was where Ramses uh, the Great was. And then when the 19th dynasty faded into the 20th dynasty, there was Pharaoh Ramses the Third. Now, we've been talking about Ramses II, but now we're talking about Ramses III. Well, the thing is, Ramses III was a very powerful pharaoh and and, uh, managed to keep Egypt at the top of her game. But he had a harem of wives. And one of his wives, Queen Ty, conspired with her son Pentaware to kill Ramses and to put Pentaware on the throne. Well, Recent CAT scans of Ramses III's mummy, and he was one of the mummies that they found at Dair el-Bahri, show that his throat had been cut and his big toe chopped off. So it appears that the assassination plot of Ramses III did occur, but Pentaware never made it to the throne. Their plan failed. Now, how do we know this? Well, guess what? Back in the 1880s, When uh, the black market was being flooded with papyruses and artifacts Mm -hmm. from the times of the pharaohs, a highly unusual 18-foot-long papyrus scroll was discovered. And it was the court record of the trial of the prosecution of 39 perpetrators of the coup and the murder of pharaoh ramses the third
0: it's amazing that these kind of records were kept and that they are still you know that they were able to be found and we
1: could find this history court transcription right original court transcription exactly i mean the fact that that this number one a piece of papyrus existed that long number two that it was taken probably by the El Rasul family and sold to a black market dealer that somehow made it into the hands of somebody who would treat it with respect and did. And then they find that this is the transcript of the court proceedings of people that murdered Ramses III. Well, Prince Pentaware and his mother, Queen Tai, were both convicted. Pentaware's mummy has been found. And here it gets real creepy. And it was funny, Dave, um, the other night um, um, on November 4th, it was the um, anniversary of the Discovery Tutankhamun, I couldn't sleep, so I'm watching one of those, uh, I think it was Turner Classic movies, and they showed the original The Mummy with Boris Karloff, which was made in 1932. So well, Tutankhamun's tomb affected the Art Deco movement. That's why so much of it has an Egyptian look. And then, of course, Hollywood gets in. And um, they had a scene where um, the Boris Karloff character is being mummified while he was alive. Well, guess what? Pentaware's mummy was not embalmed. His head and the back of his mouth is open like he's screaming in agony. And his body was wrapped in a sheepskin, which was meant to defile him. His hands and feet were tied. Closer examination found rope burns on his neck. Now, maybe they allowed him to take his own life, but it looks more likely that he was drugged, tied up, wrapped up as a mummy, and buried alive. And oh, my God. Why, I mean, uh, and that would account for the, the shrieking agony in, on his face.
0: All right. Now, just being the devil's advocate here, when someone dies, their jaw does go slack. Could it just be that it was a roughshod job of embalming and, or of mummification and that
1: that was just a natural state for him? That, that is possible, but for the fact that his body wasn't embalmed. Um, his brain, all of his organs were there. So his body was intact, and that is the only mummy that they've ever found like that. Now, Queen Ty's body has never been found, and it's believed that she was burned because the Egyptians didn't believe in cremation. The, the One of the reasons they engaged in such elaborate mummification is because preservation of the body is, it, see the Egyptians didn't believe in reincarnation. They believed in resurrection. They believed mm-hmm. that the, the body would reanimate. And so it had to be properly preserved in order for the mystical powers and their ca, their, their soul, to, to return to the body to reanimate it. And it, and it, it is suggested that uh, Queen Tai's body was burned so that she would never be able to roam the earth, and she would be cast out of the afterlife as well. But there's another screaming mummy, Princess Mary Atman. She's known as the Screaming Woman Mummy. And her head is tilted to the right side. Her legs are bent and she's wrapped at the ankle. Now, that's unusual because other mummies are closed mouthed and placed in a straight position. And that's what you're asking about. But upon analyzing her mummy, it appears that she died of a heart attack and was dead for several hours. And that rigor mortis led to the pained look on her face. She was embalmed. Her heart had been removed. It was properly wrapped and mummified. It's just that by the time her body was discovered, the rigor mortis, which is was when you die, um, all your your tendons freeze up. And so that's why she has this horrific uh, expression on her face. So it appears that Princess Mary Atman, who had nothing to do with the plot against Ramses uh the third, she just was. Um, a highly unusual mummy to have this this um, screaming, uh, agonized look on her face. But getting back to to uh, Prince Pentaware, that is very very suspicious, and it does appear that Pentaware was either allowed to hang himself, or he was buried alive, and. Either way is going
0: to be a defiling of the body that that would not be allowed to heaven or whatever the next level was. For right,
1: them. exactly. Oh. So yeah. So so I think this episode is very aptly named about the screaming mummies. I mean, because even when you look at um, Edgar Allan Poe and writing about uh, the House of Usher and and a lot of his stories, being buried alive is considered. The, the, I mean, can you imagine? you're wrapped up, you can't move and you're going to have to wait until you die of thirst, which could take at least three days. And the whole time that you're there, I can't even imagine something more horrifying than that. Right.
0: Now it's interesting. Now, as we cycle back to King Tut, we talked about the fact that his heart had been removed mysteriously, unlike any others. And King Tut, as you mentioned, had changed his name, right? It used to be uh,
1: and then right. it changed to Tutankhamun because Amun was the king of the gods of, the, of right. the old religion. Yeah,
0: king of the gods. This is not one of these pharaohs you want returning right? Because he named himself this, he took upon this mantle. So if you're going to put him down, if you're going to kill him again, this gives us another circumstantial piece of evidence. But if you're one of the people involved in this assassination, you want to make sure that you remove his heart because without the heart, he can't possibly return. And as the, the King of the gods, this is not one that you would want to want to deal with.
1: Uh, Yes. And I think that's another piece of the circumstantial evidence puzzle uh, which led to after Tutankhamun's death, his entire family disappears. So the Egyptian priesthood and the military they wanted that they wanted that family gone. Wow, very strange stuff. But I will, I will say this: yes, I will say this, Dave. Mm-hmm. Part of uh, Egypt's belief in immortality was the importance of the name, and you brought that up about. To, you know, Tutankhaten, and then he, he died as Tutankhamun, that's how we know him as. And to have your name remembered is a sign of immortality. That's why Akhenaten's name was, was uh, removed from all Egyptian monuments, they chiseled it out, because the priesthood of ancient Egypt wanted to eradicate any belief in a pharaoh who, who uh, uh, you know, essentially suppressed their religion. And then Tutankhamun was most likely murdered by a conspiracy, I, the Grand Vizier, who became Pharaoh and Horemhab, the general. But who remembers the names I and Horemhab? But the name Tutankhamun resonates throughout the centuries. And in a way, justice has been done because we do remember Tutankhamun, a scared young boy suffering with disabilities surrounded by treacherous people who couldn't wait for him to die. Yet in the end, it is he who we remember.
0: Exactly. I couldn't have put it better. And that's why you are my go-to guest on fascinating topics like this. Let's remind people you are the author of the new book, The Afterlife Frequency, The Scientific Proof of Spiritual Contact. And how that awareness will change your life. You can find a link for that book on today's program guide. And tell us again, for our listeners just finding you for the first time, tell us about your podcast, The Psychic and the Doc.
1: Sure. Every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, I uh, co-host the show, The Psychic and the Doc, with Dr. Pat Basili. She's a world-renowned behavioral psychologist and head of the Transformation Network. We take calls from listeners. I'll do Many readings for people in tandem with Dr. Pat's uplifting and spiritual insights. And it's a great show. Um, you know, we've been uh, doing this over two years now, and it's uh, only getting bigger and better all the time. So I invite everybody to tune into that. And of course, you have to tune into Paranormal 60 because, I mean, where else are you going to get Dave Schrader? I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> there is that. I want to thank you again, Mark. It is always a pleasure. I consider you one of my close friends, somebody that has affected and impacted my life in such a positive way. And all of those that you've come into contact with, because I have done midnight in the desert. I have done coast to coast AM. I have done darkness radio beyond the darkness and now the paranormal 60. And you have been one of my favorite guests and a favorite guest from all of our listeners across the world that have always told me when you come on, Make sure to tell Mark how much we love him. So now you know what we know.
1: Thank you, Dave. And I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to returning again. There's plenty of ancient mysteries and paranormal phenomenon. And that's the nice thing about what we do, Dave, is it never ends. That is true. History is remarkable.
0: The mysteries that surround us every day The pieces of history that we're continuing to uncover. Are the secrets of Atlantis just one spade dig away? Are we about to find out things with these droughts around the world where water levels have gone lower than they've ever gone? Even more mysteries. And when we do, what will it unleash on the world? Will the paranormal become the normal? Because we'll finally see the power that has always existed. I want to thank you all for taking me on your journey and being a part of my world. The Paranormal 60 exists because of you, my friends, my listeners, and my viewers around the world. So thank you and spread the word about the Paranormal 60. Let others know, because this is a fascinating place with fascinating guests that are always here to bring you to the next level of knowledge. Until next time, my friends, this Friday for the Paranormal 60 News, I'm your host, Dave Schrader.